Welcome to Get Your Swag Back with Steve Clements. This podcast is a brash, barrier-breaking, unapologetic look at the modern male, his masculinity, and the lies he is taught on how to attract, date, and act in relationships with women. We uncover and expose the problems men have in the dating arena, especially after a bad breakup or divorce, and show them how to set their ship straight. We also look into the mind of women and why they may stay with one man versus another, unveil the secret language of women, teach you women speak, and the positive traits that women come running to when they see you in the modern masculine man. Make your comeback, take your balls back, and get your swag back. All right, all right, all right, guys. Guess who's back? Steve is back. And I have a great guy in the studio today, a former Army Colonel, correct? Lieutenant Colonel? Lieutenant Colonel, I'll be right. Very good. Thank you for your service once again, brother. He's a veteran of the uh, Iraqi Freedom War and 20-year veteran, 22? 20-year veteran of the Army. I also did some time in the Navy as well. Awesome, man. God bless you. And made a great transformation from the uh, military into a coaching business. His name is Bo Hendricks. Bo, thanks for coming today, brother. Steve, thanks for having me on your show, man. Get your swag back, baby. Yeah, man. I love, I love this show. I love you, Steve. You're a freaking amazing, man. I'm so happy to be here with you. Okay. See, guys, I pay him to say that, so. <laughs> no. <you're not. laughs> anyway, man, thanks so much for coming on, buddy. I know you're a busy man, and and uh, I know you got a lot of stuff going on. I see your post a lot on Facebook, and uh, saw your, your uh, coaching uh, week. That five-day challenge was awesome. Yeah, that leadership challenge. That's right. Yeah. Let's get started with where you where you kind of started from. I guess why did you go into the military and, and what happened in that in your education, I guess, through that, what you learned about life and your, your strategies to help you in your coaching. Program. Yeah, I appreciate that, Steve. So I'm gonna make this down and dirty and quick. The bottom line is that I was a I was a high school football player in a very, very small town in southern Oklahoma, you know, a small town about twenty five hundred people. Called, called Medill, Oklahoma, man. I'm telling you what, that was a beautiful place to grow up. And I spent all my life in one town, right? Right. Oh, that's a, a lot of noise in the background there. That's a, some good exhaust. Hold on just a second. All right. So when I grew up, I was playing football and I was a leading rusher, kind of a, a I had broken a lot of records and stuff like that in high school rushing on football uh, for Medill. And so I was in the mindset already of, you know, I love the feel of, of doing battle on the football field. You know, I did a little bit of soul searching and I said, I'm going to join the military. I want to be a Navy SEAL. So I get out of high school. I go right into the Navy in 1992. I go to the Navy and I show up for boot camp and I'm, I'm in the swimming pool. And they're like, who wants to go to basic underwater demolition school so that you can be a SEAL? And I was like, me, 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 me. They're like, Hendricks, come over here. So I trot over there and I hand them my file. And they're like, you didn't have the right schools. Get the fuck out of here. I'm like, are you are you kidding me, bro? I just signed up for two years with the Navy and I can't even do the school that I wanted to, you know, to even try out for it. So they're like, nope, you're going to you're going to go to Whidbey Island, Washington and work on airplanes for like two years. And so that's what I did. And while I was in Whidbey Island, Washington, I really enjoyed the time that I had in the Navy. But at the same time, it wasn't combat. It wasn't, you know, the stuff that I had signed up for. So when two years came up, I said, I'm getting out. I'm going to go to the Army, right? So I, I got out of the uh, the Navy in 94, went to the uh, went to University of Central Oklahoma, 
in Edmond, Oklahoma. And then I did four years of Army ROTC, mm-hmm. went right into the, the infantry active duty. And that's exactly what I wanted to do. I mean, there was nothing, it couldn't have gone better at that point. Awesome. Right. So I, at that point, I went in and, you know, went through Ranger School, failed the first year, went up to the 10th Mountain Division up at Fort Drum, New York led some great soldiers up there and then came back to Ranger School, went through it, had the opportunity to go through it again. And I actually graduated that time and kind of got nominated for honor grad. And that was just a a great like psychological boost for me at that point. I was still a young captain. And so from there, I went to Kosovo, did some tours over there. That's where I kind of got my first taste of uh, PTSD and depression and that kind of stuff. So at that point, I started I started recognizing, hey, there's there's something uh, going on deep inside that have, I've never experienced before, and in, in terms of sadness and you know those kind of things and stress. Yeah, was that there's a lot? Did you see a lot of bad shit over there in Kosovo? I'm, I, I imagine. You know, you did. Amazingly, it was more of the operational stress that that got to me. We did see some you know stuff over there, but it was it wasn't the initial defense of Kosovo, so right. it was or it, it wasn't as bad as Bosnia. So I mean, it wasn't that bad, but the point was is that it it still had between the train up uh to go over there and then the actual operations over there there were some things that occurred that you know that caused me some operational stress and that was the first time i'd ever had to deal with that so came back the bottom line is that i went to fort benning for a while and i was a basic training company commander and i helped a lot of you know i helped raise up a lot of new soldiers for the army infantry soldiers and then i went over to hawaii and joined the 25th infantry division and from there i deployed to iraq with uh, 227 infantry the wolfhounds now i was a company commander for the wolfhounds whenever i went over there and i had a company of about 350 guys and gals and we were basically the mortar platoon the the medical platoon you know the scout sniper platoon and those kind of things were in my company and so as I, as we were going through iraq we had been there for about 12 months and it was a horrible time this was during the surge in iraq i mean People were dying every single day. You know, soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines were getting wounded every single day by the dozens. I mean, there was just, it was a lot of people getting hurt and sent home. So we had already lost about, I don't know, probably 15 people by the June timeframe of 2007. And I was on a routine patrol and uh, we were going to Kirkuk, Iraq from Hawija. It was about an hour and a half patrol. I get up to uh, Kirkuk. I'm doing some business up there as a company commander some property business and I'm getting ready to leave on a routine patrol coming back (laughs) and I'm walking into my ammunition and logistics operations center and I'm going to open the door and all of a sudden these boxes just explode in front of me and I I thought for certain it was an IED and I thought for certain I was dead right Right. yeah I mean this fire just come out it comes out of these boxes it envelops me and throws me back you know five or ten feet I can't remember exactly but I remember landing on my feet and instantly I kind of saw the carnage of what had occurred. So I looked down at my right arm. It's, it's all folded behind me. My, my left hip is, you know, half blown off. Holy my shit. right leg is all bloody and mashed up. And I can't feel anything from my face down. Right? It just feels like I'm on fire, basically. Right. And the dust is, you know, has filled the air. And all I can hear is my heartbeat kind of thing, you know. And so I limp around the corner. And my buddies commence to, you know, snatching me up and laying me on the ground. And before I know it, I had three tourniquets on, on three different limbs. And then, I, then I, they pull off. This lady had been shielding me from the sun with her face, this 115 degree heat. You know, I'm laying on the pavement, freaking bleeding out. And she pulls her face off as they're getting ready to stick me in the ambulance. 
and I have this huge piece of uh, shrapnel in my face. It's like lodged in my jaw, right? And then I had these two huge holes in my, or not, they weren't huge. They were holes in my neck from right. shrapnel as well. And so I was, you know, choking on blood. I had lost all this blood out of the artery on my right arm and my left hip. And they, they throw me in an ambulance. They rush me across the base to this level three care. So everything was in place already to like save me. It was a miracle that all these things were in place. So I get there and they have people lined up around the building ready to like give blood out of their arm into me, you know, That's awesome, man. So I was resuscitated with like seven or eight pints of blood or units of blood. And, and then they flew me to Balad and then on to Germany and then back to San Antonio. So I went through, you know, uh, a few months of surgeries and those kind of things in San Antonio. And then, I mean, I'm making that very brief, but let me just tell you, there's a center for the intrepid down in San Antonio at Fort Sam Houston. And down there, the Center for the Intrepid is where all the, the amputees go to get through all their cool gadgets, you know, to help them walk and, and be able to use their arms and stuff like that, prosthesis. And so that place is just chock full of all the worst injured, you know, uh, people that come back, or it was at that time, from, from the war. And so there was, it was a burn center there. It was just, it was a, one of the times where I was able to see the actual cost of the war real time as I, as I was getting treated on a daily basis you know, uh, inpatient and then outpatient, I was seeing the new stream of wounded coming in every day wow. and their families that were coming with them. And right. it was like, a, it was like a little bit of a horror story for about three months down there. I can't imagine the people that work there, they're troopers, they freaking, they serve us in a miraculous way. But from there, I went back to Hawaii and for about two years, I convinced the army to let me stay in so I could heal up. Right. And then like, it would be better for them because they wouldn't have to pay me as much on disability, that kind of stuff, right? Right. So they let me stay in and I went to a man general staff college, then the School of Advanced Military Studies. And when I did that, it was like, it set me up for attacking some of the biggest problems that we really see in the Department of Defense. So from there, they sent me, and this whole time I'm still healing. I feel like I'm a fish out of water. I've got freaking, you know, I'm addicted to uh, alcohol at this point because right. it was, it was self-medication. I'm literally addicted to like, you know, anti-anxiety medications because my body is having these horrendous anxiety attacks as an aspect of this, this injury that I went through and the, and the actual events that we, you know, had in Iraq. Do you think staying in there kind of healed you in a way by doing what you did? Yeah. I, yeah. And I think that's kind of what my mind was telling me. It's like, don't give up on this until, until, you know, all the cards are on the table. Right. So, yeah, I think, but I mean, during, like, so during this time, like I, I considered myself being treated by some of the best, you know, psychiatrists and stuff like that in the military in terms of, you know, keeping me mission ready. It was amazing the patchwork they were able to do. Like I would, sometimes I would come in and I'd be really frustrated or over, you know, stressed out and those kind of things. And, and they would be like, Hey, let's talk about it. You know? Yeah. Then pat me on the butt and they maybe give me some drugs, get yourself back out there on the battlefield and keep fighting, you know, that kind of stuff. Was that so, a good a rehab process for you do you do you like say this is what really fucking just you know kept me in the game what they well, did I couldn't, for you? Done, I couldn't have done it without the wow the, the behavioral health uh professionals that were in the military wow that, that helped me but i will tell you that it was not the protocol that they didn't follow the protocols that you know that you would think right, right. it was like it was like hey you know i'm going through a hard time they're like okay well let's Let's talk about this, but we're gonna we're gonna be very careful with the terminology we use so that we don't have to report these to certain people because you know there's there's issues of of uh, security clearance and all this type of stuff that goes on 
that just, you know, one mistake here or there, you can get your security clearance snatched and just be kicked out of the military. Wow. You know, wow. so because an officer without security clearance is absolutely no good to anybody. So, wow. Regardless, I was able to stay, and it was by several miracles that occurred back to back to back to back to back to back. back, back, back. You live a charmed life, man. I tell you, you live a charmed life, brother. Absolutely. Right. So I go do some counter corruption stuff in Afghanistan, working for like the senior level people up there in Afghanistan. And then I came back and deployed people out of Fort Hood for a while. Then I went to Korea and worked on the Korean mission set. And that was kind of my last big gig was I was working, I was the senior planner for uh, future operations for the entire Korean Peninsula. And, you know, I did a lot of coordination with all the services out there. And then also with Japan and a bunch of different other, you know, coordinating agencies that we had to work with. And then did some work, came back and did some uh, work with uh, the Pentagon. And then I was like, hey, I'm out of the military. What am I going to do? Right. So I came back to Oklahoma. And because of the amount of work you still have to do as kind of an officer in the military, you, you don't have a lot of time to plan when you're getting out. So I, although I had planned quite a bit, I came back to Oklahoma and I'm like, Hey, you know, I want to get into, I want, number one, I want to go back and look at where I'm at now, where I want to be and kind of develop a new mission and purpose so that I I don't have to worry about, Hey, am I, am I on mission? Am I on purpose? You know, I wanted to actually do that groundwork. So I went back and I did that. And uh, I read a lot of uh, great books during that process. One of them was, you know, what color is your parachute, for instance. And that, that? what's that? Who wrote that? I can't remember. Mallory, maybe uh, I'll have to uh, look, I can look. But if you type in what color is your parachute, that thing's been around for, I don't know, probably 15, 20 years now. And it gets updated with a new edition every year, company. But what it is, is basically if you're trying to find a new job, the self-work that has to go into that to say, okay, these are the things that I like. These are the things that I don't like. These are the people I like, people I don't like. This is where I want to live, where I don't want to live. All those different things. And you're going through and you're racking and stacking these things so that you can tell, hey, when I go out and I actually search for a place to live and work, you know, is it in line with what I want from life? And that was an amazing thing for me to do. So out of that and out of a bunch of different work that I did, including Tony Robbins creating lasting change and then working with the Veterans Empowerment Trust, I came up with my new mission statement, which was to live in an unshakable optimum state and to teach other people and organizations how to do the same, to relieve suffering and improve the human condition, right? So I, now I have this new purpose and this new mission. And, you know, how do I, how do I implement that into my life? So in order to stay afloat and not live on the street, I took a job working with Amazon as an area manager while I was continuing to go through the stop process. And then after long, I realized that that was definitely not the line of work I wanted to go into after being in the military for that long. So I, I left Amazon and I started just coaching. I started working on a course uh, that I could put online for people to use. And so I went through that process. I put a course out there and it was like mildly successful by newbie terms. And that was kind of like a lifestyle design course. I took that information that I had I had learned and I applied that to the uh, the course and I fielded it out for a few people to try out. I got some good feedback from the course and I learned a lot of lessons from it, you know. And so then I continued to develop my my coaching practice and the actual program of instruction that I provide to people uh, in terms of the actual coaching program. And so 
now my coaching program is called the Warrior Leader Program. And it's a, it's a 12-month-long program that takes you from being a, a person who is a leader already, you know, has, has experience as a leader, and it's going to take you back through the process of understanding who you are, what you want out of life, what you believe, why you believe it, and, it's, and, and then into developing resilient skills that are going to keep you on top of your game longer and being able to perform better right and then looking at exactly what you want from life and then developing a strategic plan to attack that and get it and so that's kind of what i that's what i do now and i'm really enjoying it and it's a it's it's an honor to be able to serve people that way that is so awesome and and i tell you what but that's exactly what a lot of men need they need a mission they need a purpose they need to find out what the hell or what the fuck they want to do with their life Exactly. You know, and I tell you, I had that experience, that pain point, you know, when I got my, my I caught my girl cheating on me and that I just said, never again will I put up with sell it for a woman I, I really wasn't in love with. And then let a woman, you know, disrespect me like she did. And that's, that's, when, that's how my journey became. And, you know, in that search, you know, finding my purpose, what do I want to do? What do I want to do with my life? And I want to Tell guys like you, I want to give them a purpose, give them a mission, because women are attracted to a man who knows where he's going. Oh, absolutely. 100%. Yeah. They, they, 100%. they love all over you. If you know where you're going, man, women women grab onto you. Go over some key stuff in your training. I mean, I love this. I love the military. I love you guys yeah, in the military. Yeah. I, I didn't sign up. I, w- I wimped out. My brother talked me out of it. I was going to join the Navy. You know, he's like, you stay in college. You know, it's, like, you know what? It's, a, it's I, I consider it fate and you know i mean there because there was so many i mean there was there were times steve in college where literally i was like do i go to nashville and play guitar or do i go in the military nashville military right and i was like flipping a coin and shit i mean it could have gone either way bro you know so well i mean obviously with what's happened to you i know a little more about your personal background and what you went through as far as the you know the the injuries you sustained and that's a freaking that's a tremendous comeback, but my, mentally how you came back and how you kind of, you had your mission in the service. You wanted to complete, you wanted to do more. You didn't want to leave. You wanted to stay in and complete and become better and better. And that's so awesome. So go over a couple of things you do. Like you talk about making a strategic plan, finding out guys, what they what they're like. It's like, I tell guys, what do they want in the woman? You write a list of 10 qualities you want and the other side qualities you never put up with. Yeah. And so do you do something similar to that? And you just well, so, so if, you know, if, if I were to look at it in terms of helping somebody approach to do both their dating life and this at the same time, I would say that, you know, number one, it's all about in, in terms of dating in the short term, it's all about having fun mm-hmm. and, and just being around people who bring you joy. Right. Mm-hmm. So, when you're, when you're out there and you're trying to find a woman that meets your needs, you know, but if you haven't done the deep work on yourself, I would say that that's the first step, right? So what do you do with the, in terms of uh, women in, during that time is, you know, keep yourself entertained with fun women. Right. Period. Right. You know, just have a good time. Yeah. Don't even yeah. look for a relationship until you've done the work on yourself yep. to know what it is. Number one, Steve, what you believe, man. What do you believe about the world and how you are integrated into the world? What do you believe about the laws that, that affect this, this world? 
both the universe, you know, the spiritual laws and the freaking physical laws, you know, right. the, not the physical laws, the actual legal system. <laughs> but also, you know, like, what do you like in terms of women? What do you absolutely hate in terms of women? You know, what do you despise about relationships? What sucks your energy away versus what gives you energy? Because believe it or not, people think, well, I don't want to tell people what I really think, right? especially when it comes to like sexual preference and, you know, whether or not they believe in, you know, certain activities in the dating relationships and all that kind of stuff. People are very timid. I would think, you know, in my experience, people are timid to come out and say, this is who I am. This is what I want. This is what I need to bring me fulfillment. Right. So right. say, so say it's something, you know, about uh, the type of sex you like, for instance, mm -hmm. you know, if you're not coming out and you, number one, if you don't know for yourself, you know, what kind of, for instance, sex that you like, mm -hmm. I'm sure you do, but if you're not willing to admit it to yourself and then you come out and you're trying to find a girl that's going to meet your needs, how are you going to be able to communicate that if you can't even admit it to yourself? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So understanding what you believe, like I, I believe I want this out of my relationship, whatever this is. And then, you know, why do I believe that? Understanding the background behind that. And then, you know, just understanding what you, and then that leads to all the other things, which is this inquisitive approach to asking that inner person what we want and need from life, right? Because we basically have six human needs, according to human needs psychology that everybody operates off of. And I think, man, you might've talked about this once before, Steve, but, you know, it's just, it's, this is a, a very um, liberating piece of information that the guys can tuck into their back pocket you know it's like you have number one your need is certainty right you need to know that you can move from pain to pleasure you need to know you can pay your bills that's certainty right mm -hmm. you need to know that that you can go out that you have variety in life that you can stimulate yourself in different ways right because you know as well as i if you do the same thing for 30 fucking days you're going to be so bored that you can't see straight and you're going to be doing wanting to do anything else besides that and right. that's the need that's the intuitive need for variety that we have and then the third need is the need for significance right we need to know that we mean something to other people and that that we're worth something like if we disappear from the face of the earth you know that somebody's going to go hey they were worth something and we missed that person because they were significant, you know, right. or there's probably a bunch of different ways that you can define significance. And then the fourth one is connection or love, you know, that ability to connect deeply with another person and to believe and to know that you're actually connected to them. This is not superficial. This is real, right. that kind of feeling, you know, mm -hmm. and then a lot of, I believe a lot of people are missing that. But the thing is about those four needs is that we're going to meet those no matter what we will meet them through some mechanism. And that's where drug addiction comes in. That's where porn addiction comes in. That's where freaking smoking and, and alcohol come in, you know, and sex addiction for that matter. Right. I mean, because we're looking for those four things, whether it be certainty that I can have somebody that's going to believe that I'm a, that I'm well enough, that I am enough for this world, right? I still need certainty to tell me that, right? Am I certain when I wake up in the morning that I'm a loved person? Right. Do I have certainty, right? If I don't have that certainty, I'm going to look for it some way. Right. And I'm going to get it some way. And whether that's self-love through injecting a freaking needle or drinking in a bottle or looking at porn all day, you know what I mean? There's, you're going to get that certainty. You're just right. going to get it because right. you have to have it in order to not go crazy, you right. know? And so the other two needs of the spirit are growth and contribution. And those are kind of like, the, according to human psychology, which is a Tony Robbins thing that he came up with over like 20 years ago. 
those two spiritual needs are like a, a more mature approach to meeting your needs and, and, a, and maybe mature is not the right word, but a more advanced approach, because if you choose, once you know what your needs are, if you choose to make growth and contribution, your primary needs, the other ones will be met anyway. Right. But not necessarily, you know, vice versa. So if, if I focus on connection, you know, as my primary thing and maybe variety, I'm not necessarily going to grow as a human and I'm not necessarily going to contribute to anybody else. You see what I'm getting at? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's, it's all about, I mean, that's, you know, the growth process to me is so awesome because you don't know what you don't know. Right. You know, and the only way you're going to find out is by stepping out into it and trying and failing and stumbling forward and all that. And a lot of guys I know they get so frustrated because they, they don't have that quick success or they don't, they don't persevere. And I found out personally that you just got to keep hacking. You got to keep hacking at it. You got to keep trying and trying different avenues of uh, what you like. I mean, discovering yourself. What do you like? What are you all about? What's your likes? What are your dislikes? So well, important. You know, that's, one of, that's one of the things that really just stood out to me about you several months back when we first, like it was probably right after we first started working together in our mastermind and excuse me, in your mastermind. And you had said something to me that stuck the entire time. You're like, Hey, I'm not in a hurry, Bo. You said, I'm not in a hurry. I'm going to, I'm going to do several different things and see how it feels. Yeah. And, you know, and I'll see how I respond to it and see how it responds to me and those kind of things. And that kind of prototyping is a magnificent approach to entrepreneurship and to actually gaining a fulfilling profession you know, a fulfilling, purposeful activity in life, because what you're doing is you're seeing how your spirit reacts to certain, you know, input or certain stimulations, you know? And so that's probably the smartest thing you could have possibly done. Exactly, man. It's like, it's one thing I read is that direction is more important than speed. A lot of people go, you know, going nowhere fast. And I saw that and I, that's me. I'm keeping busy. I'm doing this, but I had to, I still am in an introspection part of like, who am I? You know, what am I about? You know, and what do I really want to do? And I'm trying different stuff to really kind of pull back the layers of the onion and discover what the hell do I want to do? That's amazing. Because we, we get all this thing that you got to do this, got to do it quick. You got to do this fast. You got to, you got to make that money. You got to hit that business. I'm like, yeah, great. But if I feel like an imposter or if I really am not positive of, you know, the direction I'm going and I'm going to falter and kind of stumble. I, you know, I'm, I'm all about passion and, and what I, what I want to do. And, you know, right now, I mean, I love doing podcasting. I love doing, you know, interactive zoom calls and, and helping guys out. I love doing that, you know, yeah. and uh, I just think I gotta, I want to get better and better, you know, until it, my time is like, yeah, man, it's, it's really, really go time. You know, I think you said it, perfectly right there which was you know the there are a bunch of people telling you like you if you're doing any type of work like this service or you know service-based work in the coaching industry or in the wellness industry that kind of stuff people are going to tell you you got to do all these things right now right now right now right now and you know clubhouse you got to be on clubhouse you got to be doing you know all 12 different freaking social medias at the same time you know the truth though is what when you said you know, I feel like an imposter. There's this thing that we all know, which is called imposter syndrome, right? Yep. And and th that is where, you know, you're breaking through that imposter syndrome. And that's a 
you know, the imposter syndrome is a bad thing where it's basically a limiting belief, right? That you're not good enough. Whereas the imposter syndrome you're talking about here is where you're doing things that don't feel authentic to you. Yeah. And that's a little bit different, but it's so important because I'm experiencing the same thing, right? You know, there's, there's times where I'm, you know, I've got a business coach, right? And a lot of times my business coach tells me to do things and it's their policy. It's their company's policy. But when I do it, it feels inauthentic. Right. Right. And so it's, that is where I think the, the long-term success versus the short-term success is the difference is going to be made in whether you are authentic or whether you're not. Yeah. Right. Because who wants to who wants to live a fake existence, man, where they're putting on, you know, a, a certain face or saying certain things every single day just to make a sale? I mean, that's not that's not why I got in this business. Right. It's to help people. It's not to just put on a certain, you know, posture or to posture a certain way or to say certain things over and over again just to get people to, to purchase a, a product. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I do. I mean, in my life, I'm going to be wealthy. I'm going to be abundant. I want to make an impact. I want to add value to the world. I just, I want to be like, I just want to be me. I just gonna, I'm going to do my thing. And it's, if it happens quickly, great. If it doesn't, I'm still going to do it. I don't care. I'm going to do what the fuck I want to do. That's the yeah. American dream right there, man. Yeah. I think it's the clarity. I love what you talk about, you know, in, in the need of growth and the, uh, what was the other, the growth and the um, contribution. contribution. I mean, to me, that's what, I'm all about how can I grow more? How can I become better and how can I contribute? You know, how can I help these people? I want to become a better person so I can help other people out. And I think that's where I think that's what I love about this, this whole thing, this whole, like I can get on a podcast and I can broadcast it and people can listen to it and people right. hit it up, hit it up. And also when I reach out, I mean, it's funny. I can talk to one guy. I say, Hey man, how's it going? Everything going good today. And I'll get two, three paragraphs of what's going on with him. Yeah. And I talked to other people like, how do you do that? I'm like, I don't know. Well, they trust you. Number one, you have rapport with them and they trust you. But, you know, why do they trust you? Because they know you're sincere. Yeah, that's that's the main thing. They know you're sincere. Once you have number one, it's hard to gain that trust because, you know, you have a lot of time in gain that trust. And then once you have it, it's very easy to lose. But you're a great example through your authenticity. How that attracts people. It's just, it just does. You're going to attract like-minded people when you are living your true calling, you know what I mean? Right, right. Exactly. And I really feel like this is what I was put here to do. It's, it's really, it's kind of forming still, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm doing some deep work, doing some deep mindset work, Mm -hmm. but I just want to get, get, just become a better person so I can, you know, add value. And I think, I think that's what I love about your story, because you have a great life example of how you were i don't know who would come back from what you did i mean that to me is a tremendous comeback yeah you know i think i think you know if you want to get down to brass tacks i will tell you that it was the fear of me giving up on life that made me come back it was it was like this and of course i when i wrestle with these deep 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 thoughts you know it sometimes they take different forms and it's and it's it kind of swirls around a little bit but the main thing is that, you know, after when I was sitting there still freaking just dizzy and sick all the time and shit from when I was on convalescent leave after that event, 
I was so hyped up on drugs. I hyped up. I don't even know that's the right word. It's like I was so sedated and freaking messed up with all the different opioids and freaking, you know, the different anti-anxiety medications and then the pain medications on top of that. It was like I was a freaking pharmaceutical company walking around, man. You know, I mean, I remember, listen, listen to this, Steve. I remember one time me and my wife were sitting in the hotel room with my, you know, two and thir- three-year-old child, you know, boys. And we were looking at this box of fentanyl lollipops. Fentanyl lollipops. Wow. The shit that kills people. Yeah. Yeah. I had a box of fentanyl lollipops to use at my disposal. To which me and my wife, because I was so fucking scared of dying in my sleep from narcotics overdose, we took those and ground them up and freaking flushed them down the toilet because we didn't know what to do with them. Yeah. Yeah. That is scary. We were scared. Yeah. Our freaking kids were going to get them, you know. That yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but you know, I was so messed up on the on these drugs, and, and I was genuinely concerned that I may give up on life because I was in constant pain, I was in constant uh, emotional turmoil, and I was constantly like dizzy and disoriented. And so I was like, "What? What is there to to keep going forward for? Right? I mean, this is a miserable existence." And so. Literally every day I woke up and said, I will find my fucking purpose. I will find my fucking purpose. I will find my fucking purpose, right? I am not giving up on this life, right? Just because shit is looking down right now. And so every day I fought through that and I fought through that and I talked to God. And there were times where I thought I was going to die. There were times where my body shut down on me. You know, the thing that kept me going was what kind of leadership example is it? to fucking quit on the world. Wow. What kind of leadership example is it to my son and to, you know, my ex-wife? If I quit when the chips are down and when I'm in pain, what does it tell them to do when they're in pain, the chips are down? Exactly. That's awesome. I had had to find a way, Steve. And and that's what it, that's what it eventually happened. And I'm so thankful for all the people that were, you know, the, the angels that came into my life and planted shade trees for me and, and just, you know, were just a little bit here, just enough to keep me going, a little bit here, just enough to keep me going, you know? And, you know, that's what, that's what saved me was that the idea that I could not give up and set that kind of example for other people. And my God, look at all the grace that people give you when you are willing to receive it. That's awesome, man. That is awesome. God bless you, man. A true American hero, Bo Hendricks. I appreciate that, brother. Thank you. No, thank you. Let me just give you a freaking pump up here. I mean, guys, Steve is one of the most authentic leaders and coaches that I have ever met. He is, you know, the, the way that he tells his story and the way that he talks about the actual, the reality of dating after divorce and getting your, your, you know, emotional confidence back, you know, there's nobody better for that. And I highly recommend Steve for that kind of coaching. I appreciate you, man. I love you, brother, man. Let's give us your information on your course and your coaching uh, business. Okay, great. So, you know, the warrior leader program is a 12 month coaching program. And uh, it's a group coaching program, but I also have it available for individual coaching. I've got very, very limited slots for individual coaching, but the there are some available. 
And so the bottom line is you can find that at www.bohendricks.com, B-E-A-U-H-E-N-D-R-I-C-K-S.com. Awesome, man. Awesome. And, uh, yep. And you can also find me on Facebook under the same name. And also we have a Facebook private group for the Warrior Leader Academy, and that's Warrior Leader Academy. So awesome, um, I appreciate you letting me come on here and have a great discussion with you. See? My, yeah, man. God bless you, man. My pleasure, man. It's my pleasure. I think you should write a book about your uh, war experiences, man, and just tell them people like soldiers give soldiers a kind of a, you know, hey, you know, it's not over. It ain't over till it's over. Like I always say, you know, guys ain't over till they're patting you on the face with a shovel. You know That's what right. I mean? That's right. So, but you know, you know, the, the, the great point of that, that Steve is, is that, man, all of us are going to get patted on the face with a shovel one day, right? Don't close your book, man, until that fucking book is done. Exactly. You know, somebody's going to close the book for you, you right. know, or nature's going to close the book for you. You ain't got to do it yourself. <laughs> yeah. Please don't do that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. all right, my man, thank you so much. Remember, guys, my mission is to help 300 million men make their comeback, take their balls back, and get the swag back. And remember, it ain't over to the patting you on the face with a show. Steve Clements signing off. I'll see you next podcast. Thank you for tuning in to Get Your Swag Back podcast with Steve Clements. And if you like this shit, please subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast platform. Also, if you know anyone that may need to hear this podcast, which is 90% of the men in the world, send them my way. Please send us your feedback, questions, and comments to swagbackdoc at gmail.com. I love reading hate mail. Thanks for listening, and fellas, take your balls back and get your swag back. See you next podcast. <laughs>